Welcome to Film Festival Reviews. This is Christina Kotlar. And I'm Yuri Turchin. And we're going to be talking about the week coming up and what we've just done at Tribeca Film Festival. And it has been good. It just started on, I think opening night was Wednesday and Thursday had some things happening and we went Friday mm -hmm. to get our credentials and we went to the festival hub to get all this stuff done. Everything has really changed in a very interesting way. Uh, I had attended Tribeca Film Festival a long time ago when it first began, and it was really the neighborhood that was happening. And as it got bigger, it spread out all through New York, mm -hmm. and it got more difficult to maneuver. We were going on all kinds of subways here and there, uptown, downtown, east side, west side. Uh, we got to know New York quite a bit for the week. Last year and this year, there's a hub. There's a festival hub on 50 Varick, and a lot of things are going on there, which we experienced all day Friday. One of the things that we did get was this Bible, mm -hmm. and it's called the FIP Guide. It's, for, it's a professional resource for filmmakers, industry, and press. Mm -hmm. And then when you go into this, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that trying to figure out what is going on where you have documentary competition the way you normally do with film festivals u.s narrative international then you have things like spotlight documentary viewpoints spotlight narrative midnight screening tribeca tv short films of course and then special screenings now we got an invitation to go see this special screening friday night a one-of-a-kind cinematic experience performance or conversation and what did we see the public image is rotten <laughs> about johnny rotten from sex pistols and johnny lyden's uh, alter ego and his work as after he left the sex pistols he went to public created public image limited right. we, i knew nothing of this i don't know punk music <laughs> Or we were trying to figure out all the different bands that started in the 70s and going into the 80s. What did you think when you first heard that we're going to go to see this? The initial reaction I had was when you presented it. Do you want to go see it? It's next Friday, meaning a week ago we were getting our itinerary for the coming Tribeca Festival. And one of them was early screening of this public image is rotten and i said yeah let's go it could be an adventure know nothing of punk music never followed it don't know much about johnny rotten but turns out there was a legion of fans coming to see the movie there was over three to five hundred people to, at the hub, at at the, the, hub. Fest the festival hub they have this huge room now and a huge screen on stage yes I couldn't believe how many people were there Friday night. And they were all enthusiastic fans of this entity who has aged but keeps playing, who keeps singing. Well, again, I didn't know who was who. And there were a lot of people on this interview. One was Ginger Baker. Mm -hmm. uh, I, and then there were several people as they showed their images when they were very young and as they aged, I couldn't keep track who was who altogether. I didn't see, mm. they didn't put all the names out on a consistent it Wasn't edit. It wasn't an easy thing to follow. However, the interesting part was that this person still exists, still performs high intensity, 
the music itself has been enigmatic to me, but it has its own sound. It's developed since the early 70s. Personnel has changed so many times, and what happened, Johnny Rotten couldn't use his name because Malcolm McLaren, their manager of the Sex Pistols, legally entangled Johnny Lydon. He could never use the name Sex Pistols. He could never use the name Johnny Rotten. So being the entrepreneur that he is, he just said, I'm Johnny Lydon, and here's my new band, Public Image Limited. It was funny. They showed that altercation with Tom Snyder, saying whether they're a band or whether they're a company or a corporation. And (laughs) and I think... It was semantic, though. I know, but I think he was just being... Obstreperous. What does that mean? That means he was being stubborn. I think he was he just wanted being to define, a rebel. Well, the same thing. Rebellion, stubborn, you know, against the grain. Definitions were whatever he wanted to define himself as, not what other people did. For instance, they were never on tour. They were just doing gigs. But they were doing long distances and staying over, then coming home. Going to Japan. Yeah. So, but they were the never on tour. That was good. And the multitude of personnel changes was the reason for, well, the personnel changes came with the, either it's the road was too harsh, the performing on the road was too much, or it was drugs. And he, Johnny, just said, I don't want heroin in the band. He didn't do drugs himself. He's there was a lot of things that were happening, not only with the with the drugs, but also with, as you can attest, being in a band itself and all the personalities. And whereas, you know, someone is the leader of the band, he was making decisions, but there were others that were very close with him, and musically were very good, but they didn't get along. I mean, you can attest to yeah, how well, that works. Nothing's perfect. Nothing's ever perfect when it comes to personalities, whether the music is going in the direction that everybody wants to go. Johnny Rotten Lydon was the one that wrote most of the songs, but he had collaborators in the band. Everything that was published was always given all the band members publishing rights. So they were all listed. Part of it. They were yeah. all a part of it. Part of the song. To my astonishment, they had an incredible career. They just kept going and going. There's so many albums. The style of music hardly changed. I think the most polished of the band came when it was too polished for him. Because he, he was always unpredictable. Well, not only that, but they dealt directly with the record company. So they oh, didn't that have yeah. that was in the middle. You know, mm-hmm. he finally got a manager again later on where you said it was very polished and and he likes to be rough around the edges. Even when we saw him come mm-hmm. out on stage, he took over. Right. He was a live wire. But going back to talking about some of the people who came and went in the band as you have seen in your work, in your music, in your bands that you've played in, mm-hmm. how long or what do you have to decide on? Can you deal with the personality because they play so well on their instrument and they contribute so well? Or do you say, okay, I can't take this person anymore. I've got to get somebody else that may not play so well, but at least you can get along. I take the latter. I would take the latter. 
because I've experienced the great players who wouldn't participate or it was on their terms, not the band's terms. They were being selfish. I've had personal experiences where either drugs got in the way or some relationships that they had personal relationships got in the way or it was financial. They couldn't handle their money. So they, you know, you can't coddle musicians. And I think at one point in that band interview there, one of the band members said to the new guy, we're all individuals. So you're on your own. Right. You're oh, on that your was own. very poignant. You know, you know there. there was no, there's no support group within the band. You're on your own. You have to perform. You have to know your part. But everything else, you're on your own, whether you got to book a hotel, get there, or, or get on a plane, or whatever. I think they were taking care of At some times, of those issues, you know. Well, of course, when they, would go, when they would go on tour, you would have to. You couldn't just allow each one to decide when they're going to show up, when they're going to be there. That's true. But I think they that was specific, that they wanted people... They wanted the band members to be individuals, to contribute that way, and to, and to play really the way they, they do to contribute to the music and the performance. Well, we, you know, what we should do, maybe as an addendum after this podcast, is to, or include it later, is to go through the personnel, how long they lasted, what was the contribution. That's where you go see the movie. It was fascinating to watch all the different elements because there was some eight millimeter some really old vintage video audio mm -hmm. going on there analog i thought they did a pretty good job to making it just as jagged and unrigid as the band was so i thought it was very successful in making you feel like okay this is what would happen if i go to a punk rock concert where these guys were going there to. was some great footage where and being rebellious, as Rotten was, there were times when going against the grain, for instance, alienated his audience, his fans. I was just going to say that that audience, or some of those uh, fans that came out there, they were spitting at him. Yeah, when he wasn't doing the things that they expected him to do. You think that's what it was? Yeah, there, yeah, yeah. That he riled them up, that he was going to do his next music, whatever it is, and not playing the old stuff? Then? Well, that's the part of it. He wow. was he was doing what he wanted and not what the fans wanted. Their caustic reaction was spitting on him. He walked off oh, and they said, right. you have to go back on. He goes, I'm not going to go back on. They're spitting at me. You yeah, know? And yeah, I don't yeah. blame him. And, and the manager looked at him and, he, and there was spit all over him. But there was another show where they played behind a big screen. At the Ritz. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, it was the Rich had, Show. They had this incredible screen for films that was really expensive, and they decided to play behind it as silhouettes, and the fans didn't want anything to do with that. They tore it they down. They tore it down. We saw the Japanese audience. Yeah, but they expected that, too. They followed. These are The reason they were on tour there, they knew they were going to get a, a sold-out audience, and they did, and they... The Japanese audience was just as much um, physically active while while Johnny was performing with his band, and they would they were just animated to the point where they're climbing over each other like ants. 
to get to the to front get of the, to stage. the stage or just evoke their emotions. They had mohawk. Oh yeah, hair, that was hairdos. that wasn't not that was Japan. It was Japan, but it wasn't too long ago. Let's put it right. that way. It was maybe ten or fifteen years ago. Well, okay. So that's not too long compared to forty years ago. And Johnny yeah. looks great. He was on stage. He was just as you know, boisterous and vibrant. I think if you gave him a microphone that he would just start singing again because that was the question you had. Why didn't he... Play an instrument. Why do you think that was... I don't know. He just didn't play an instrument. He was front man, made up the songs. I, but that, that but that's, I, I that's, think I had to But if you listen long that. enough, and it happens with pop music and even now, all the hip-hop things that are going on, you don't know all the lyrics, but you listen to... Something long enough, you start picking it up. I think he also brought up the fact that it was so loud mm -hmm. that a lot of the band members started getting their hearing affected. Oh, yeah. Tinnitus and sure. stuff. So I think that contributes to the fact that you cannot differentiate the lyrics from mm -hmm. one going into the other. Well, there's not much you can understand if somebody's yelling at you. Well, when it's loud like that. Well, right? he's not singing, really. He's no. yelling. There was one segment where one of the guitar players said there are really no chords in the band or in the music. It's sound. It's sound reproductive. It's using Started with tools. the bass. Well, wait. Before you go on, oh. the bass would set the rhythm and the harmonic content, and the drums would come in, and then that the whole ensemble, top level, volume 11. That's how it was performed the whole night. I was astounded at his energy to be able to do that the whole time. Depending on how long the shows are, but of course, even two-hour shows to yeah. nonstop, nonstop and to keep it going. You know what it's like when you're playing. Sure. And, and you have draining. that really... It's draining with the one song when you have to keep on going and you start collaborating with the other... <laughs> members of the band and playing right. and it's if we were to see a whole concert of theirs either the sex pistols or the the new configuration of public image limited i would be then informed more as to how that performance can be endured by the musicians and the audience it was a whole new experience for me coming from very melodic harmonic content to this uh I guess, cacophony, but still musical and very hard driving. The drum beats were incredible. And they went through several drummers. And there were times on a tour when the drummer said, I'm not coming. Oh, that one time? <laughs> <laughs> and they had to scramble to get a drummer. And it was a drummer who had no idea what it was all about. He just shows up because somebody walked he up to added, him and said, are to... you free tonight? Right, but he he answered an ad. I think they had... No, an... that was the Ritz show. And then he was behind the screen and he goes, what do you want me to play? <laughs> Yeah, that girl was, from Ipanema. That was very funny, yeah. too. But those kind of situations do happen, and those that do happen, and it becomes something that out of the norm and out of the ordinary and very, very special, and now you can talk about it. And they do have the information, the images, the people that said, yeah, this is what happened. This was, I'm witness to this. We were witness to Friday night. I thought it was excellent that we went on a whim. 
well, we it wasn't... stood in line forever, it seemed, because they, they lined us up outside before we can get well, we in. But we didn't think there was going to be room inside. You know, well, you had no too. idea that this was going to be such a vast space. Right. But we found a, another space that was on a different floor. This is seven floors at this hub, festival mm -hmm. hub. So this was on floor six. There were, what, three, four hundred people? Four, probably five. But it was well run yeah, because absolutely. everybody that once it opened up and people moved in, I couldn't believe that we were walking in and the place was almost completely filled already. And we were there on time. But in any case, anything else about Johnny Rotten? What was the song? Oh, I, I wanted to say one thing. The Q&A at the end. We stayed for five minutes and the moderator was so-and-so. But Johnny came out incredibly psyched. His hair is pointed to heaven. His outerwear is incredibly unique. And his enthusiasm had never waned from the movie into the live transition. This was he, the case. He, he's just full of life. And you would think, and I remember one thing that he said, it wasn't political, the songs. They were answers to things, like his mother dying was very impactful for him. So he wrote, what did he write that song? Death something or other, Death Dance, or something in that effect. But every experience he had, he wrote about it. Clashes with the law. Public image, flowers of romance. This is not a love song. There are a lot of things that then he, he talked about yes. you know, during the film or even afterwards yeah. when so he wanted to. So people should catch it. Because this is a great film. But when we're just talking about the moderator, I thought the moderator was so mismatched. Oh, yeah. I don't even know who this was, but somebody from Variety. Right. Because they're from Variety, <laughs> they think that they're going to be able to talk to Johnny Lydon and, mm -hmm. and very ask him some questions. I had no idea what to yeah, they ask him. That no, person was not it was prepared. not. And I think that is one of the issues I have with a lot of the film festivals, not only Tribeca, right. but they put up people who have no idea how to moderate, how to discuss, how to start the conversation going, and how to direct it so that it would be a, a wonderful after the film and the Q&A for people, I'm sure they had a Q&A, but then it probably would have been better than what the moderator, uh, it, it was totally, I don't know, person who was sitting in the chair and, and couldn't get a word in edgewise, well, so there wasn't anybody who could kind of get on that level, that right. Johnny Rotten, Johnny Lydon uh, right. level, so that well, was a little disappointing. The amusing, in addendum, the, the amusing part was the director was there, right? Yes, yes, the <laughs> that director. this guy's from Mexico. He is. Wait, he grew up skateboarding. So his name is Tabert Filler. He grew up skateboarding in the streets of Mexico City and was the bassist in the band Max Singer Z. So he was a player, and as a cine cinematographer, he has distilled elements of the stories he shoots down to their essence. This is his directorial debut. Mm -hmm. He wanted to share it with the people that helped him make the film, which was very, very nice of him to do that. He understands it's a team collaboration, just like playing in a band. So then we 
did get a chance to see the VR, the Virtual Reality Arcade. Oh, and right. that's on the fifth floor. Right. The first time they had it was last year. I went to see that, and it was a hacking show. And they had Mr. Robot, the Coney Island kind of backdrop of that, all the things that are happening in the show itself. And then they had cast members talking about the show. And then on the other side, they had biotechnology hacking and, and some other things, white hat, gray hat. They explained a lot of things about what hackers are, who they are, and what they do. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was very interesting, you know, because mm-hmm. there was a lot of interactivity. So we walked in on Friday, you know, late afternoon. You kind of knew what was going on. You had to sign up, stand online, put these things on your head, and put the glasses on, wait your turn, and then you'll see some of the experiences that were developed and designed and created by artists, cinematographers, and uh, computer geeks. A filmmaker approached us because overheard us talking about what do we do when we come in here. And so we met Ethan, who had his film, I will get the card for it. No, it was a six-minute short film. And he was a traditional filmmaker. He still is a traditional filmmaker. But he went into this VR, virtual reality mode very successfully, I thought, after speaking with him about what he wanted to do and how he used animation, and he used the person who's putting these things on, we are, as people within the show Mm -hmm. that he created, all these marionettes, these kind of puppets. Mm -hmm. So we're on stage, and you're seeing it from the puppet's point of view. And then you're seeing somebody looking into it like a kinetoscope, right? Mm -hmm. You're just seeing these big eyes and somebody talking. It was very vibrant music. It's kind of like a Johnny Rotten show. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was well done. It had enough of an enter- entertainment factor for me to mm-hmm. see where... I felt like I was in the movie Beetlejuice because it had all this carnival-like sounds, these mm-hmm. things coming at you, these arms coming out, rolling out. So what we saw on 2D screen watching Beetlejuice big screen what you're still just flat two-dimensional here you're in it and i had a lot of fun with that and we got to talk to him about the technical aspects of it how does it how do you do it is there software to do it you were talking to him about music also well he hired musicians he hired actors most of the time people work for free because it's a future gig perhaps or they're just willing to experiment. So you got some good people doing uh, all three, acting, narrating, and the music. He took care of the animation, the computerization of the imaging, CGI. The resolution of the film wasn't as good as I would expect it because it was very pixelated. However, the intensity of the computing power to be able to do that to begin with, you're not tethered like in other booths to a central centralized source transmitting here this was incredible this was untethered you saw a menu and your eye focused as a cursor when you first started so make sure make sure your eye is the cursor is on the part that you need to start the video itself the animation i even asked him whether We can get in touch with him in the meantime. Once we get past this festival, we'll have more questions perhaps for him. 
well, we did have a question for him, which I thought he answered really thoughtfully, very well, about the future of this. Why oh, right. we said there was a big hoopla about it last year, the Google Glasses. Uh, New York Times was reporting Google Glasses, and then you don't hear about it anymore. And, and we're saying, is this going to be this kind of... Uh, a possibility for group showing because we see on television that commercial somebody got the headset for Christmas and everybody's watching the person experience that. How much fun is that? I don't know. Uh, so we asked him and it's like it's not to replace what we have now as seeing films on the big screen with a, a lot of people in there because people like to do that. Mm -hmm. They like to talk about it afterwards. They like to see it in a group because watching the film, public image is rotten. It was intense. People were into it. Mm -hmm. And I got a kick out of watching their faces as the, as the same way as I do when you have a performance and I watch the audience enjoying your performance. Mm -hmm. So that's how he explained it. This is a personal situation. The, the way you would watch movies on your own, this is a personal experience True. more than anything else. People do that all the time. We had The Walkman. Uh, we have people listening to podcasts. We have people going on books on tape in cars. So you had the iPod. Mm -hmm. And that's where this is going. So while they have six minutes to really show what they can do, because this was intense, there mm -hmm. was a lot going into it, which I love the fact it's creating new, new jobs, new areas of business. And mm -hmm. then we always talk about that. We bring it up. Creativity, creatives contribute $700 billion to the U.S. economy. And I love the fact that new areas are coming out now. And I hope that this is going to be focused on for, for the economy and for future economic development in different areas. I think it's kind of like that undercurrent. And people are working in it. Initially, when a product comes out, it can only be afforded by elite moneyed people. Then mass-produced. And then it's affordable for the layperson. And I think this is what's going to happen to this. We're just going to have technology and computational things develop to such a point where VR is going to be an everyday thing. Right. So that is the, let's see, the product. But you still need the creative, the content. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is, this is the uh, distribution. This is where it's going to be coming out, you know, for people to consume the creative to mm -hmm. consume uh, the content so the content is what's going to be in demand true and that level of of understanding it in coding or in creation in 3d modeling in animation in music he talked a lot about not only using live musicians, but also going into so many different areas of finding music that is recognizable and still within the public domain, uh, using music that ha is being licensed, also creating original music through a lot of the, now that you can get, this is what you're doing. You have a lot of sampling that they do, which again, is something that I don't, really understand very much about because uh, well, it's, like having, it's like having a library of sound used to have 
many decades ago. We used to have cassettes or even records that had sound effects, a plane taking off. You have a track for that. You have a track for a steam whistle blowing. Now it's so easy to have these sample sounds. It's a library. People who actually, their principal livelihood is to create library of sounds. And that goes into then music supervisors picking out music. That's apropos. That isn't done by famous composers. They're just songs that, that are, in, are injected into the, the movie or the, the visual aspect. Ethan told me that the guys he hired actually did music for film. They were reputable and they, they did a really nice job. It was minimal. It wasn't like an incredible score of music. It was just a lot of sampling, a lot of sound. So the person to look out for is Ethan Shaftel. Ethan Shaftel, extravaganza.film. Yes. I thought it was really, really good. I liked it. Well done. But another thing that we would still want to talk about is the live music that we had oh, right. hit upon and we were talking about is it live music performance or is it background music and this happened at the Tribeca All Access cocktail party that we were invited to Woolies okay on Barclay at lovely I love that place it looked great it was like a throwback to the old coffee houses mm -hmm. you know going in there and we got there early we saw the band playing a minimalist type band, guitar, bass, drums, and a keyboard, and a flautist. The keyboardist was playing the flute also. Minimal music, very dronish, no singing, just instrumental. But it added a real good ambience to the room and the purpose of it. So actual good. Is it a performance or is background music? They were on stage, they were lit, they had lights on them. They were insular in their own music and yet projected enough enthusiasm because they were really, I think, very much improvising. And I saw them lipping things like, okay, let's go to the minor third. Let's go up a minor third. Stay in the minor key. Or the cues that the bass player was giving because he seemed like more familiar with the music than the guitar player. Maybe they were just... Not really a band, but got together, and the music director was the keyboard player because he was giving the, the cues for everything going on. As the audience proliferated, there were more and more people. People listened. People actually listened. They didn't try to interact. There was no microphone that they could talk to the audience. They just kept playing. So there is the aspect, yes, they were background music, but they were also a performance for those reasons that I mentioned. And we love the fact that it was live, and it was yeah, live no DJ, music. Yeah, right, no DJ, no DJ. So we appreciate God. that very much, and that's what we look out for. So coming up this week, we have a lot of films to see. I'm just starting to put the itinerary in. We're just going to get in there and watch movies, and then see what happens. Mm -hmm. There's always something that goes on, because when you least expect it, you have to be there mm -hmm. to access yeah. it. So on until next time. This is Yuri Turchin. This is Christina Kotlar. We'll see you again. We'll talk to you again. We'll hopefully, you'll be listening to us again. Maybe we'll get a piece of music that had something to do with... Johnny Rotten. The king is gone, but it's not forgotten. Is this the story of the child?
This program has been recorded at Wheat Chief Productions, and to find out more, go to marchairmedia.com, filmfestivalreviews.com, or turchintunes.com.